I made a decision for Jesus when I was 11 years old. And I, I read my Bible and I went to church. But it wasn't until I was in high school that I started to be discipled. And it was my high school band director, Mr. Fisk, who kind of took me under his wing, so to speak. And I just, I hung out with Mr. Fisk. And I was amazed at how his relationship with his wife worked because it was so unlike my parents. And I was like, oh, wow. And he had two young sons and the way that he interacted with them and he was following Jesus. And I wanted to follow Jesus, but I wasn't sure how, you know, how, what does it look like to be a Christian in a public high school? What do you do and not do? And, and how do you interact with people who aren't Christians? And how do you hear God's voice? I mean, how does that work? Is it like a max? Or is it like one of those things where you're, you're hearing Obi-Wan Kenobi? Luke, remember the force, you know. What, how do you know when God's speaking to you? And, and all these things. And Mr. Fisk and I would have these conversations. And it wasn't just about the music that I was learning or how I was developing as a saxophonist, but it was also how do you follow Jesus? And when I got to college, I had more opportunities to be discipled. Um, Charlotte mentioned a little bit, I used to wear bow ties. I've admitted this before in this setting that when I was a young man, I was very, very OCD. Now I'm just OCD, <laughs> okay? But, but back then, it was really, 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 really bad. And, and so my senior year of college, I got to live in a house with five other guys. And, oh, you know where this is going. <laughs> five other guys... And these guys did Jenny no favors because they let me determine how the living room and kitchen was kept. And, and we would, every Thursday night, we would have a different professor or administrator over for family dinner. And person after person, this is the cleanest men's house I have ever been in at Wheaton College ever. What, what is your secret? And they would all kind of look at me at the dinner table, and I wasn't picking up on the fact that they were more or less like tolerating me. I thought it was, you know, an us thing to keep the house that way, and it was really a max thing, and because they loved me so much, they just kind of went on with it. Um, the bedrooms, that was a different story. The bathrooms, that was a different story. Um, but then I married Jenny, and Jenny and I had different ways of cleaning. We have like simple things like when you have people over, I'm of the, the, the train of thought, do the dishes before you go to bed. Her train of thought was, oh, let's do that tomorrow. And friction, <laughs> okay? And then, so all kinds of friction moments. And thank God there was a man who kind of took me under his wing at that time. His name was Lyle. And he kind of looked like a skinny Santa Claus. He was a stick guy like me, only he had a white beard and white hair. He's not changed. I mean, it, there's a picture of him in a magazine this month, and he's the same. He hasn't changed at all. And so, white beard, and, it, for, and that was, oh my goodness, a long time ago, like 30 years ago. Oh, scary, okay? So, so, Lyle kind of, I got to spend time with Lyle. And I would, I would you know, the fact that I was married and 
Did I mention I had some friction issues? You know, that would come up in conversations with Lyle. And he'd be like, what is Jenny's problem? And he would so patiently explain to me that it really wasn't Jenny's problem, that it was my problem. And that, I, you know, and what? What, Lyle? You know, and he, you should pray about that, Max. No, I don't need to. Let me see. Jesus, no, Jesus said I'm right, you know. <laughs> it's pretty, I've learned to hear God's voice, you know. Okay, so all along the way in my life, I have grown the most when I have been in relationship with other people who are trying to follow Jesus too. I haven't grown so much when I've read books or been to conferences or back in the day watched videotapes. It's been in the context of relationships. And Jenny, it's been the same way. Jenny can tell you from a woman's point of view. What does it mean to love this idiot OCD guy? You know, how does that work? How do I walk this out and be Jesus to him? And what does it mean to be a wife and then a mom and, and follow Jesus? And then, you know, I, I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid of that. How, what do I do with the fears and things that I have? And how do I walk out a life that honors Jesus that way? And so she's done the same thing. And Thankfully, Lyle was married to Mary, and guess who got to spend a lot of time with Mary? Jenny did. And so it was funny. We, you know, we'd come back after she had spent time with Mary and I had spent time with Lyle, and it was weird the way they had kind of said the same thing to both of us. It was really weird. And so we learned and we grew. And so today, I kind of want to unpack a little bit. We've been talking about discipleship, right, a little bit you know, when we, three weeks ago, when we talked about live like Jesus is king, I used the word disciple. And, and I, I kind of, if I do anything today, I kind of want to give you clarity about, so what is a disciple? What does that look like? And then a stake in the ground about discipleship. And the stake of the ground is simply this. Discipleship is relational and it's a process. It's relational and it's a process. Okay, you're tracking with me. This is awesome, okay? So if you, if you brought a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first gospel in the New Testament. You probably know the song. Some of you. Uh, I'm flipping there. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. 16 to 20. So in my Bible, this has the heading, The Great Commission, and it's in italics. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So if you're in any church, and we've talked about this before in, at Generations, the, this is your mission. This is your marching orders for Jesus. Jesus is about to leave and go into heaven, and so... The whole, okay, here's what I want you to do. 
It's right there in Matthew 28. Here's what I want you to do. And for those of you that don't know Greek, it's okay. I'm going to do a little Greek for you. There's several verbs in this string of sentences. Okay, so there's like, uh, I've been given an authority, therefore, go, make disciples, baptizing, teach. Those are the verbs. There's only one main verb in the Greek. You know what that verb is? Make disciples. All the other verbs are participle verbs. Going, teaching, baptizing, those are modifying verbs of the main verb, which is make disciples. So the marching orders that we all have when Jesus says, here's what I want you to do, what he's saying is make disciples, okay? Now, we know from Matthew's gospel that Jesus is different than the other rabbis. And, and Brian Hall has taught on this a couple of times. I've learned some stuff about what it meant to be a disciple in the first century. So Jesus was different. Unlike the other rabbis where you would pick the rabbi you wanted to follow and you kind of chose the rabbi, with Jesus, Jesus did the choosing. He chose people. I choose you, I choose you, I choose you, Levi, I choose you, James and John, you come with me. And so Jesus did the choosing. We also know that Jesus was different from the other rabbis because he broke all kinds of barriers. He had women disciples. He, had, he broke down ethnic barriers. Uh, he broke down religious and social and economic barriers. He was with rich people. He was with poor people. <gasps> you know, Jesus broke down all kinds of barriers. But interestingly, the one thing I want to draw from this passage is you know, Jesus doesn't say how to do that here, does he? I know. He doesn't say how to do it. The, and you know what? He didn't have to. The people who were hearing this and hearing him say, hey, make disciples, ding, they had a light bulb right away because they had literally just lived it with him the last three years. They knew exactly what to do because it had just been done with them. So they didn't need to say, hey, hey, Jesus, um, could you, how does this work exactly? Wait, wait, whoa, 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 before, hey, hey, before you get all the way up there, can we have a manual? Manual. You know, none of that played out. They didn't have to ask. They didn't have to wonder. They knew because they had just lived it out. So let's go to the beginning of the book of Matthew now. Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at verse 19. Mm. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. I'll give you the context before and after, but he's just going to put verse 19 up there for you. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. These guys left everything. They left their families. They left the family business. They left their lives in Galilee, and they started following Jesus everywhere. And Jesus is saying, what you're doing with fish, by catching fish, I'm going to show you how to do that with people. How awesome is that? I grew up for the longest time, and I was always amazed by this passage because I thought, I don't know if the first time I saw Jesus, you know, and he said that to me, that I would just up and leave everything. That's so radical. I don't have that kind of faith on it. But now that I know a little bit of the 
history and how things are playing out, I feel a little bit better about it. Because uh, Bible scholars will tell you that this isn't the first time that they saw Jesus in action. Um, John's gospel gives us a clue to that. I, I taught on this recently. Jesus performed a miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and there were some people with him watching him do this miracle. And so um, Andrew, who was a disciple of John the Baptist, actually left following John the Baptist to start following Jesus and brought along his brother Peter and James and John. So we know that they had had an off-again, on-again contact with Jesus over, say, the better part of a year. So in this moment, in this command of Jesus, hey, come follow me, they had enough information to kind of go, yes, no. And they decided, obviously, yes. So I kind of want to flesh out. So in this passage right here, I think is a good way, place to start for, so what is a disciple? Have, you, have any of you ever wondered, like, what is a disciple? Is that the same thing as a Christian? Is that different as a Christian? You know, for a long time, I grew up a Baptist, and I thought we're, disciples were, like, super Christians, kind of like missionaries, like Charlotte, or pastors. You know, a disciple was somebody who kind of really took Jesus seriously, not like the rest of us, you know, who's, I mean, I'm not, it's not bad. I mean, take Jesus seriously enough not to go to hell, but, you know, not necessarily enough for it to be this guiding, you know. So what is a disciple? Well, let's unpack some things there. Follow me. I will show you how to fish for people. And I'm stealing this shamelessly from a man named Jim Putnam. Jim has written several books on discipleship. There's a lot of ways to define it, but I, I like his because it's simple. And I'm a sucker for simple. Head. Head. There's a part of being a disciple is up here in your brain, in your head, knowing who Jesus is and deciding to follow him. It's a head thing. So I know who Jesus is, and I have made a decision that I'm going to follow him. So in following Jesus, again, simple, it means Jesus leads, I follow. How's that for simple? You're like, well, duh, I know. It's kind of hard sometimes, isn't it? You know, because Jesus says some things in here, and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. No, I think it should be left, not right, Jesus. But Jesus leads, I follow. So head. Then there's a, another part there, and it's heart. Um, I will show you how. I will show you how. There's a heart thing. Charlotte talked about it just a minute ago. I'm not the same woman I was two years ago, okay, <laughs> or however many years ago. There's Jesus is changing me. And so I've decided in my head... I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus leads, I follow. And then the second part is, I'm being changed by Jesus. There's transformation at work in my life where the Holy Spirit is at work inside of me, changing me. And then the last thing is hands. So head, heart, and hands. Hands are, I am committed to the mission of Jesus, which we just covered, which means that I'm going to join him in his mission to love and reach a lost and hurting world and make disciples of them. So head, heart, and hands. Those are kind of three parts of what it means to be a disciple. So a disciple is someone who knows who Jesus is and has decided to follow him. A disciple is someone who's being changed by Jesus. And a disciple is someone who is committed 
to Jesus' mission. So from Matthew chapter 4 all the way to Matthew chapter 28, we see that discipleship is relational and it's a process. The disciples made a decision to follow Jesus. So Jesus led, they followed. Along the way, their understanding of God and how God works and what God's mission is starts to change. Some of them start to change as people. Let's take Peter, for example. Come on, let's take Peter, for example. Peter, impetuous, blurted out answer, Peter. Peter, you know, who just, yeah, it's, I'll do this, and then, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, Peter. And we get, when right before Jesus goes up into heaven, there's this conversation he has with Peter, because Peter, right before Jesus is crucified, says, oh, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. You know, and it's exactly what Jesus said would happen, happen. Peter, in the book of Acts, remember, he has this vision and he's shown, you know what? God's going to reach Gentiles too. It's not just Jewish people. <gasps> what? So Peter, we see Peter growing and changing in the scriptures that we have. So it's relational. It's out of relationship with Jesus, and it's a process, all right? In the first year of my marriage with Jenny, there were lots of fights. There have been other things in my life where someone's gotten cancer, where, you know, we've, we've, we thought a job was going to pan out, but it didn't pan out. And what I have come to realize is that God actually uses unpleasant, difficult, and painful circumstances to grow me. I so wish that what God used was pleasant, happy, I win the lottery, and I become a better person. <laughs> Method of growth. But he seems to prefer the difficult, hard, painful circumstances path of growth. Okay, I can get with the program, but I, I want to make that for you as a caveat. So when we talk about the fact that it's relational and it's a process and there's this transformation part, understand that transformation sometimes causes you to go, ouch! Okay, just keep that in mind. So in America, right, we, let's be honest, we kind of, I think for a lot of us Christians, we've made disciple an upper level kind of form of Christian. And maybe generic Christians are maybe at a lower level. And I want to suggest to you that Jesus didn't see it that way. You were either a disciple or you weren't a disciple. And, and so don't panic, right? Don't panic because I'll let you in on a secret about the people in this room. There are disciples in here, and there are non-disciples in here, and that's okay. The, remember the whole process part? The process part is, and I, I've come to this point as a middle-aged man now, you're either kind of moving toward Jesus or away from Jesus, and that's kind of how it works. And so it may be that I haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, but I'm interested. I want to know who he is. I want to kind of figure that out. I want to figure if it's worth following him. That's an okay place to be. And there's going to be this process. And I may get to a point where I make that decision. And I go, yes. Or maybe I'll decide, you know, no, no, not really. Or not now. Or, and so it's a process. But understand over the long arc of your life, and C.S. Lewis would say this, you're either moving toward him or you're moving away from him. 
And so the idea, for example, that you can coast in your relationship with Jesus, that's kind of a misnomer. No one coasts because you're either kind of moving, he's leading and you're following, or you're kind of leading yourself, going where you want to go. So let me ask some questions. So have I, hopefully I've done a good job of identifying a disciple. A disciple is someone who knows who Jesus is, Jesus leads, they follow. It's someone who's being transformed by Jesus. It's someone who's committed to Jesus' mission. How's that for simple and clear, right? So all of a sudden you go, oh, hey, that's a disciple. So let me ask some questions in light of that. Am I someone who's following Jesus right now? And if, if I'm not what I like to be, or am I at least interested enough to, to start kicking the tires and maybe even read the Gospel of Matthew or something like that? Second question, is Jesus changing me? Like Charlotte, can I look back into my life over the past several seasons and go, wow, I've changed. And would people who know me say, you know what, you've changed and you kind of remind me more of Jesus now than you did then. No offense. <laughs> no offense. But you kind of remind me more of Jesus now than then. I, you know, let's not go back to those things. I like the way you've changed, okay? And then last question, at what level is my commitment to Jesus' mission? In other words, am I committed to that, or is that mostly a, well, no, that's really just for pastors and missionaries. Am I personally committed to his mission? So let me get out some charts, and they're going to put some pictures up for me. So, dun, 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 pew. I know, it's like, okay. So let me, let me go through these continuums, and here's some clarifying things. So first, first picture, if you would, please. So follow me. Here's kind of a, a, a continuum of following me. No one tells me what to do. I've met people like that. Come on, you work with people like that. <laughs> I follow, but I'm easily distracted. Oh, look, a bird, a squirrel, okay? <laughs> I, I would so follow Jesus if I could remember... His name. Oh, Jesus. Okay. I have, I have good days and bad days, but you know what? I try to follow. I'm sold out and committed to following every moment of my life. And there's kind of a continuum. So a good evaluative thing for you and me is where am I on the continuum? What's the next step? Am I happy with where I am? Or would I like to go a little further with Jesus? So let's go to the next picture. And I will make you. So this is the transform, transform, ugh, transformational aspect. That was a hard word. I am no different than I always was. Jenny would say to you that's a bad idea, especially if you're married to Max. Okay? I am no different than I always was. I take three steps forward and two steps back. Just kind of a mix. I can definitely list areas of my life that Jesus has changed. It's becoming a habit for me to lay down my agenda and let it change to his agenda. Okay? There's another continuum for the transformational aspect. Then get last picture. Okay? Follow me and I will make you fishers of people, fishers of men, fishers of people. I, I don't give up time or resources to the mission of Jesus right now. Sorry, it's busy. I'm a student. Any number of things. I've got kids. I know I should, but I haven't wanted to step up. I try, but I've been confused at times as what part I play. I'm sold out and using my time and resources regularly 
to make disciples. So let me give some practical, so where do, what do I do with this? Where do I go with this? Well, from a disciple point of view, right? If you're looking at this through the lens of, I think I might be interested in being a disciple, or I am a disciple, and I'd like to kind of process that for a moment. Set aside unrushed, unrushed time on a regular basis for you and God. Unrushed time. Uh, I'll use my marriage as an analogy for this, right? If I were to say to Jenny when she comes through the door, okay, uh, you've got seven minutes today, go. That does not go to a happy place. <laughs> in part because her love language is quality time, but also in part just because it doesn't work that way. So if I want to go anywhere in my relationship and my marriage with Jenny, I need to give it unrushed time on a regular basis. And the discipleship thing kind of also tracks with marriage in this regard, right? In my marriage with Jenny, I really am. I'm either getting closer or I'm getting further apart. I can't coast in my marriage any more than I can coast in my relationship with Jesus. Okay? So, so first thing is unrushed time. The second thing is Bible intake. I'm telling you. God still speaks through the Bible. He does. And we're going to talk about that together on September 28th. But God still speaks through these ancient texts that have been wonderfully translated into English. Yes! Okay? Wonderfully translated into English. There's like 50 different English versions. Okay? And he still speaks. So Bible, reading the Bible, listening to the Bible in the car, God still speaks through the Word. All right? And then last thing is oikos, relationships. Oikos relationships, people in relationship with other disciples. And for me, that's been people like Lyle. It's been my small group. Uh, at times, it's been ministries that I've served in alongside with other people. But people who are trying to follow Jesus in, in the context of relationships with them. I remember when I wanted to actually dial up my time with Lyle. Lyle was a pro kind of professional discipler. He had... A kind of a contract i know it's like really he's like well I, I will give you time but here's what i expect our weekly time that that's important and you don't that's not a oh i have a paper to do or you know no this comes first secondly uh, i'm going to expect you to read your bible and pray regularly i mean he had a list and i i agreed to the list because i wanted to spend time with lyle because he kind of reminded me of jesus and he was helping me love jenny better so i was like okay <laughs> But that may be part of the process, okay? So from a disciple point of view, unrushed time, Bible intake, oikos relationships. Now, from a discipler point of view, Peter, James, John, and Andrew did not have a seminary degree. They didn't have a seminary degree. And yet, he entrusted to them the mission of making disciples of other people. If you are following Jesus, he's changing you, and you're committed to his mission, I have good news for you today. You can make disciples of other people. You can. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You don't have to be anybody even famous. You can do this right where you are. And if you're in this room right now, and you may be, say, 14, you can do this. If you're a tween or a teenager, 
right now in your life, you should be thinking twofold. One, from the aspect of a disciple, the coach that I'm spending time with, the pers- these adults in my life, are they following Jesus? So if I follow them, are they likely to help me, lead me to Jesus? Or are they likely to lead me away from Jesus? So, you know, how, how do I dial my time and whatnot? Do I have people in my life that are pointing me and leading me to Jesus? Um, and then from a discipler point of view, is there anyone else? Maybe it's one of the kids in G-Town. Maybe it's somebody at high school. I don't know. But who is hungry and interested in Jesus in my life right now that I could share what I've learned? Okay, so Jenny and I, when we started out as a young married couple, they gave us this um, middle school youth group. We didn't know anything about middle schoolers, and they came up with this name, Kids for Christ, because we had Kentucky Fried Chicken that night. And there were all these things (laughs) they did. They were creative that way. And so... And so we spent extra time, and Jenny took the girls one night, and they did makeovers in the whole nine yards, and I did something that was not a makeover with the guys, and we just, we hung out a lot. But some of these, some of these uh, middle schoolers as adults, when we've ran into them later, they will say stuff to us like, hey, thank you for investing in me, for believing in me. I was watching how you guys interrelated as a as a married couple i was watching how you treated one another i was watching you know you got you pointed me to jesus thank you and i would look back and i'd go really you know it didn't sometimes it didn't feel that way okay so you and i would i didn't have a seminary degree at the time did i did charlotte mention i wore bow ties there were so many strikes against me and yet and yet god used me and if god used me as that 20 year old bow tie wearing guy guess what he can use you. He can use you to literally change the world right around you. So discipleship is relational, and it's a process. Hopefully today we have a little bit more clarity about that.